On this edition of the Deseret News Ute Insiders podcast, we talk about Utah being ranked number 16 in the final AP poll. We revisit the Alamo Bowl. We talk about our all-decade team with the Utes, a little basketball, and then some. That and more on the Deseret News Ute Insiders podcast. This is the Utah alum and the ultimate heel of professional wrestling, the MK Bandit. And you are listening to the Deseret News Ute Insiders Podcast. Welcome to yet another edition of the Deseret News Ute Insiders Podcast. I'm Dirk Facer here with Mike Sorensen. Mike, uh, quite a week. How was Boulder? It was cold and, uh, and not a fun game to watch, but other than that, it was good. Got a little <laughs> ugly. Hey, we'll talk some hoops in a minute. Let's start off with football. Uh, final ranking came out today with Associated Press, and they're number 16. Mike, what do you think of that? Is that about where you expected them to land? Yeah, that's about where I thought. You know, I guess I, I kind of didn't look at it close enough. I kind of wondered if they might drop down to closer to 20, you know, because of all the, it was such a couple of bad losses at the end of the year. But uh, they had such a good year before that, and other teams lost. So I think that's probably about right. 15 or 16 is probably where they deserve to be. Well, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting because before the last two games, there was obviously Obviously, a lot of talk that maybe this team compared to 04 and 08, but those teams were nowhere near number 16 at the end of the season. Uh, did they fall too far, do you think, or did they, uh, they still one of the better teams Utah's ever had? 11 wins says something. Yeah, still one of the best teams. I mean, that's probably about where they, they deserve it. A lot of the rankings obviously determine when you lose and when you win, and the fact they lost their last two games uh, makes them going to fall. If they were 11-3 and three and these maybe these losses came early, they maybe they'd be in the top 10 or 11, but uh, it's right. about right where they should be, I think. Well, timing's everything and <laughs> with the rankings, and obviously at the end of the season, uh, you want to be playing your best football, and that just wasn't the case with the Utes. What do you think, Mike? There's a lot of heavy graduation losses, and with Jalen Johnson going to the NFL and that. I mean, the defense has got a lot of holes to fill next season. The offense, obviously, bringing a new quarterback in uh, to run the show. Is the future bright, or could next year be a rebuilding year? Yeah, if you look on paper, you kind of wonder. You, the defense has just a couple guys back, and you wonder that could just be a you know really bad season, but you know it's funny. And not that these experts know any more than anyone else, but I think it, uh, this one of the ESPN college writers had him listed number twenty one for next year already. So I mean, the national people still you know the fact that Utah had such a good year, you know they get that got them a lot of respect. The fact that the people maybe and they even knew that Utah's losing a lot of people and they had them listed number twenty one. So when you have a solid program, you're going to have a pretty good team coming back. But yeah, you kind of if you look on paper, you kind of wonder well this defense could struggle, especially early on with uh, just all these newcomers. Do you think uh, Kyle Whittingham, he mentioned earlier in the season that this was like spanning the Grand Canyon to get from the Mountain West to the Pac-12, and then after the Alamo Bowl, he said the accomplishment of this team was compared to the 04 and 08 when they were in the Mountain West as apples to oranges. Do you think there was a, a big difference this year? I mean, as Utah arrived as a Pac-12 program, do you think? Because it sounds like these rankings, a lot of national pundits seem to think Utah is you know, going to be a consistent contender in the Pac-12. Yeah, I think so because uh, you know it is a big difference, and you, you got to think back those days when Utah was undefeated in the Mountain West. You know, when you're playing New Mexico and Wyoming Air Force, those teams are weren't as good as the, as the Pac-12 teams, obviously, but. Um, you know, so maybe in back then it was a little more deceiving. They won those games, and they won their big bowl game, and and then they just had to win the one big game. And now they had a lot of big games to have to win, and so it's a little bit harder when you're we're playing week after week these big games. Like you've pointed out several times, it was a championship game every week, and so it's a lot harder just over the long haul. And maybe just after kind of carrying that weight on their back all season, they just couldn't quite push it through to the finish line with those last two games. 
I'm glad you kind of mentioned that because, you know, Kyle Whittingham was big on that, that this team won a championship game eight weeks in a row. I think they had to after losing to SC in the uh, opener. And that, the fact that they didn't really play any uh, high-end teams, I know the win in Seattle was impressive at the time, but Washington obviously didn't live up to expectations uh, by season's end. But were fans and everybody fooled a little bit just by the fact that Utah reeled off those eight wins and most of them uh, were, you know, in impressive fashion, but they didn't really play anybody. Do you look at it that way, or do you look at it as they beat Pac-12 teams? Well, you have to admit the Pac-12 was not one of the stronger conferences this year, but they still had some good teams. You know, a lot of these teams did well in the postseason. You know, they beat Cal. They just killed Cal, and Cal won their bowl game. And and Arizona State, you know, they won their bowl game, and Utah beat them pretty well. So these teams weren't maybe as good, but uh, uh, Utah just, I think they just maybe, just at the end, they just couldn't quite, you know, push it through to the end. Last night, LSU won the national championship. Uh, beat a good Clemson team. I think Clemson had won 29 games in a row over the past couple of seasons. Where do you see the Pac-12 compared to SEC and even you know a program like Clemson? Because, I mean, it almost would take a perfect season for a Pac-12 team seemingly to get in the playoff these days. Yeah, I was watching that game, and I kind of, you know, just watching those two teams, I thought to myself, these teams are, they're a step above what, what we've seen in the Pac-12 this year. You know, you could tell that they were just, the guys, they just seemed faster and got to the ball quicker, and they, some of these guys caught passes were just, uh, and you just thought to yourself, these guys are definitely a step above, and they probably were. These, the two or those two teams in Ohio State were probably, those three were by far the best teams, you know, as it, as it showed with Oklahoma losing so badly, and one of the announcers said Oklahoma would have lost uh, any of those three teams by a similar score, and that's the Big 12. So the Pac-12 definitely is a step below, I think, the SEC and and uh, the Big Ten, and, the, and not the ACC as a whole, but certainly Clemson. So I think that, uh, you know, it's just they're probably the fourth or fifth best conference. They're just That's just the way it is. You think there'll be a perennial battle for that fourth spot in the playoff between, say, the Big 12 champ and the Pac-12 champ? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the Pac-12 hasn't made it for four years now, since 2016, so um, they haven't proved that they're worthy of it, and I think this year was a good case was made, you know, for maybe expanding the playoffs as far as, you know, obviously Utah or, or would have gotten in or Oregon. I mean, a Pac-12 team would have got in, obviously. Yeah, you'd have eight teams. And I think that would make it. But then on the other hand, you'd say, well, but then do people want to see LSU beating, uh, you know, South Florida or whoever the independent team is, you know, 50 to nothing, which might happen if you have this one versus eight. So who knows? I think that it'd be nice to have a, a few more teams in it. But I think of the in the current system with four teams, you, the, the Pac-12, is always going to be on the on the borderline whether they get in or not. Mike, there's an interesting debate. If you look at the uh, the college football playoff in Utah was in the number five spot and Oklahoma was in the number six spot going into that final weekend. Do you uh, believe if Utah had defeated Oregon, they would have been in the playoff? Because uh, if you look at how things worked out, the committee seemed to put a lot of weight. I mean, they liked Baylor. They got Baylor into a New Year's Six Bowl at the end of all this. Would Oklahoma beating a, a Baylor team that had the committee's respect twice at the end of the season like that have leapfrog the Sooners over the Utes regardless of, and obviously Utah had a blowout win over Oregon that would have changed everything, but do you see a scenario where, I mean, do you think it was that simple if Utah had won, they'd be in, or do you think that uh, the powers that be and the conspiracy theories might be true that uh, they wanted an A-brand like Oklahoma in that Final Four? 
No, I've, I think I said it before, and I still believe it. I think that Utah would have been in. I, I still think, by, if you look at how they ranked those teams the last three or four weeks of the rankings, Utah kept solid, and they kept them up there, number five, number six, number five. And I almost think the committee was saying, oh, we, we've got to get a Pac-12 team in there this year. If it's between them and Oklahoma, we're going to make sure we do that. Not that they're going to favor the Pac-12, but I just think they were doing everything they could by the way they showed how they kept them pretty solid. And they were number five, that at that point, I, I think they wouldn't have let another team leap for at that point. So it's all old story now, but uh, I think that's probably what would have happened. See that? Well, hey, we uh, just had a recent uh, project in the Deseret News, uh, Utah Football Decade Interview, and uh, Mike and Brad Rock uh, chimed in on some things we did. And, and Dirk uh, did most of the work, so give yourself some credit. Yeah, I did, I did. I did a little of the work, but I had you guys peruse it and fix all the boo-boos that I had. But, uh, Mike, what did you... What do you take from the decade? Is it the fact that they ended it with two Pac-12 South championships? Is that kind of what you take from the decade? Is they transition from the Mountain West to the Pac-12 successfully? Or do you look more on individual accomplishments? Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, they got better as the decade went along. You know, it's kind of funny to think back that very first year when everybody thought they were in over their heads, they actually could have made it to the right. championship game. People forget about Should that have. because yeah. of the fact that USC was on probation. But then they kind of went down. They had a dip where they had two losing seasons and then they gradually got better and they had and capped it off with their two best seasons with the you know so I think that the uh, you know the Pac-12 that showed how they do belong in the Pac-12 and that they're going to be a power probably for years to come. Putting together an all-decade team wasn't easy. Uh, you know, the first thing to do was to get all the All-Americans on there. But, you know, there's a guy like Mitch Wisnowski, a Ray Guy Award winner, didn't make the list because Tom Hackett won two Ray Guy Awards. That's right. You know, and... Uh, and Andy Phillips, another guy. You'd think Andy he'd be Phillips, a shoe-in. Yeah. yeah but you can't, so, you can't... Another guy gets the uh, Lou Groza Award. You know, you can't leave him out. Yeah, and so it, it's hard. And then you look at a uh, player like Hunter Dimmick. You know, great defensive end, uh, but you've got Nate Orchard and, you know, guys like that ahead of him and, uh, you know, Bradley and I, and, you know, it makes it tough. There were some tough decisions to make and uh, even tight end, and uh, I think you guys got that straight, but Jake Murphy, you know, getting the nod over uh, Brent Keithy. Um, What were some of the battles that you saw in there that were interesting? I know we talked about wide receivers. That was really hard to decide what to do on there, and I think that was probably the weakest of all of them, you know. I think we both decided that that was the weakest position. If you look at the whole thing because I, I wondered how could you have Brenton Covey who's only played two years be the all-decade guy you know right and then I thought well maybe Kenneth Scott would be and he had you know four pretty good years but he wasn't outstanding you know so you could maybe make a case for him and that Devontae was, Christopher you know he started in 09 but he kind of had a couple of good years but that was that was probably the weakest I think Other, otherwise you had you could have left a lot of good guys off the list you know well if you count Brenton Covey's mission you know he's kind of in the program for four years <laughs> yeah, right. even though no. and he did play th- he played a third year this year, but it didn't do much. There, but. You know, and the fact that he is was an all-conference uh, punt returner twice and a freshman All-American. I mean, there were some decisions. It was really tough, but uh, you're right. Wide receiver was probably the, the weakest one just because of accomplishments over the decade. Uh, and like you said, then you go to the defensive line and there were guys that got left off. And like you said, Mitch Wisnowski and guys like that that are, you know, Andy Phillips, you know, great players, but there just happened to be guys that accomplished just a little bit more ahead of him. Quarterback Tyler Huntley kind of emerged. It makes you wonder if he had not had such a great senior season, who would be the quarterback on the All-Decade team? Yeah, with Travis Wilson and Jordan Wynn, you know, uh, 
John Hayes. <laughs> I mean, they, they they didn't have a lot of you could say great right. great quarterbacks. They had some good ones and some serviceable ones. But think about some of the guys they had to plug in there over the decade. You know that maybe you know, only exist for a year or two. Well, what about running back too? Obviously, you put Zach Moss at one spot, but the second spot. Uh, Devonte Booker and the Wolfman. Uh, where would you go on that one? Is that is that John White? That's John White. I can't remember his nickname. Ow. No, he had a he had a couple of really good seasons, and then that one year was when I guess Norm Chow was the guy, so he got a lot of opportunities that year. You know, isn't that right? It was he his coach? But uh, that sounds right. Anyway, that was um, John Hayes's year too. So. Yeah, they had a lot of good running backs, but I think you were right with in going with Devonte and. As well as, uh, you know. And it was hard. And then the offensive line was a challenge, too, because, you know, we talked about four. you need to play four years, but Garrett Bowles, you know, how many uh, Utah offensive linemen get drafted 20th overall in the first round? I mean, oh yeah, it's hard to say he wasn't, you know, Brad Rock kind of hit home on that point. He said, it's kind of hard to put an all-decade team together and say these are the best players that came through the program and leave a guy that was drafted 20th. Yeah, that's true. Even though he played one season. So there were a lot of challenges, but we encourage you to go to Des- com and check out the Utah football all-decade team. And uh, if you don't like anything on there, email Jody. Yeah, there you go. Deseret News has a new podcast, Zion's Suffragists, to tell one of the most shocking and delightful stories in American history, how Utah women were the first in America to vote. See Utah's women like you've never seen them before, running for office against their husbands, meeting presidents of the United States, showing Susan B. Anthony how to run an effective campaign. I'm Diana Douglas. Listen to Zion's Suffragists at Deseret.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey, Mike, let's talk hoops. As promised, things got real ugly in Boulder. I was watching a game on TV, and uh, I had plenty of time to get snacks early because that thing got out of hand quickly. You know, and it's funny. I I had the opportunity to cover the very first uh, (laughs) Pac-12 basketball game because you were at the Sun Bowl in 2011 on New Year's Eve. And I was over there with my wife on New Year's Eve. And and Utah, it might have been the worst game I've ever seen for a Utah basketball team. They lost 73 to 33. They barely made it to 30. They lost by, you know, 40 points. And I still remember standing outside the locker room and Larry Kristoviak was just, and I was with Bill Orem from the Tribune and we were just listening as a coach. Whatever happened to that Yeah, guy. Really, he's somewhere down in LA now. But he, anyway, we, uh, he was just ripping on the team and that, but the thing is they were, a, they were a terrible team that year. That was their year zero as, as they call it because they were just so bad that year. And I thought, and I, even before the game, I was talking to Jimmy Soto and I said, remember that game when they lost by 40? And I said, you know, I kind of was saying that we'll never see that again, and we nearly, we nearly saw it. They lost by 39 points, so it was just an awful performance. I mean, it just they were just not in the game from the very start. It was 16 to two before you looked up, and uh, you know, and but surprisingly afterward, I think the coach was he was just kind of you know he didn't seem upset at all, and and uh, he kind of talked about how um, you know whether you lose by one point or 40 points, it's still a loss, you know, right? Which. Well, I remember too, Mike, they had uh, the day John Huntsman died, the Utes were in Boulder, and I talked to Larry Kristoviak before that game, and the Utes kind of had an uninspired performance that day, and, and understandably so, given uh, Mr. Huntsman's contributions to the program and that. But, but they lost by 10, right, or something? Yeah, it's been a tough place. <laughs> yeah. You know, they've had some uh, some challenges there, and like you said, some wide swings. And it's interesting, because those two programs, you know, joined the league at the same time in 2011, and uh, they've each had different degrees 
series of success over the years, but uh, Colorado looks like they may have an NCAA team this year. Yeah, and they are a good team. They, you know, they're they've been ranked. They were ranked twenty fifth, and they they beat uh, they beat Oregon. So they're very good. And it was just kind of a bother. I was a little bothered, and I even talked to the coach today about it. The fact that he says, "Oh, it's a loss, whether it's one point or forty. But um, and to me, obviously, you'd rather lose by one point than forty points. <laughs> And he, he kind of had to clarify himself and say, you know, I was just kind of saying, you know, we were behind the whole game and it was a humbling loss. Obviously, you'd rather lose by just a few points. and But uh, it was just like the game got, game got out of hand and we kind of knew we were out of it. And, and he was disappointing his players. They kind of didn't show much fight that game, you know. So that was the biggest thing that he could see, just that the players almost kind of gave up when they got down. And also, the, you know, the fact is this team is different. That one in, in 2011 was a, a team that was just kind of thrown together at the last minute and they had guys that didn't stay with the program. This team's all, you know, we know of very well. They're all freshmen and sophomores and so they're going to have games like that. They already had games like that against San Diego State and Coastal Carolina where they lost by 20 plus points. But they bounced back so there's a chance they're going to bounce back and it's not like the season's gone just because they lost by 39 to Colorado. Well, And if everything stays the same in two or three years, Utah could be what Colorado is right now. Yeah. Veteran team with a lot of experience. That's what they're counting on. I think the coach kind of looks like in two years from now. I mean, you know, he doesn't want to just throw this season off but, you know, in a couple of years, these these guys will be juniors and seniors if they stick around, and uh, and, that, and then they'll be the older guys that might be beaten up on some of these younger teams, you know, because they'll have all that experience. So, yeah, they're gonna, it's a tough deal because they got to go to Arizona this week. In Arizona, they've never won down there. That's the one place they've never won, and Arizona's always a nationally ranked team. Arizona State, they've beaten a couple times, and, and they're kind of off and on. They, they could maybe steal one there, but the, the reality is they're going to be they're gonna lose to a lot of these veteran teams, and it's going to be, you know, they'll win some, but they're going to have, it, you know, overall, it's going to be tough to win a lot of games. Mike, what do you know about Nico Mannion, uh, Pace Mannion's son, who's uh, doing some big things at Arizona? In fact, he's kind of been tagged as a one-and-done type of guy that will be playing in the NBA next year. But uh, Ryland Jones and the guys, that'll be an interesting matchup. Yeah, what I know about Nico Mannion, well, is uh, I used to, I guess I covered his father in college, you know, that's how old I am, and, and knew him, and I ran into him in a, I, don't know, I can't remember, some restaurant in Florida or somewhere a couple of years ago. I just was sitting there, and there's Pace Mannion, and so I went up and talked to him, and I'll talk to him all about his, his son, you know, who was, his, who was in a Sports Illustrated last year. They did like a 10-page feature on the kid, you know, how he his, uh, he grew up in Italy because his dad played over there, and his mother's an Italian, and uh, and he was like the number in the top five or ten recruits of the year, right. and he's listed mm-hmm. as a maybe a top ten NBA recruit. So he's like a tall, you know, six. He's like his dad about six six. Is that right? Yeah, maybe point a guard. little shorter, but somewhere in that neck. Yeah, he's a pretty tall point guard. So that's what makes him a good commodity for the NBA. And uh, he's uh, yeah, and, and he's leading the league in assists. You know, he's, he hasn't shot great. I think he's only a little over forty percent. But he obviously has the tools to be an NBA player, and that's kind of what looks like that's where he's going to end up pretty quickly and for right now he's one of their top two or three players in Arizona. You think that'd be an intriguing matchup with Ryland Jones uh, going up against sneak a couple of f- true freshmen going at it and uh, I think uh, if you, one thing about Ryland Jones is he's going to go down swinging he's going to give it his best effort. Yeah it'll be intriguing the fact that Ryland will give up about five or six inches to the guy you know right. <laughs> you have to guard him. We'll see how that goes they might have a shorter guy that he'll he'll be on but uh, yeah that's going to be tough for, for Ryland to go against one of the top point guards in the country, and um, the youths just have to hope that they can uh, not let these guys get away from them like happened last week. Is Arizona basketball back, do you think, or are they still uh, 
finding their way. Last year was obviously a, a big slip, and uh, but that's been a perennial top 25 program, if not higher. Uh, do you think they're a contender? Yeah, it looks that way. Uh, I kind of wonder about the fact that they... Um you know, they kind of had all those things that looked like the coach was going to be gone and stuff, and they somehow got past all that. And I'm, <laughs> I'm still wondering how that happened. But um, money, yeah. money, money. I don't know. Anyway, so that just kind of was in the in the rearview mirror now. And they got three top recruits this year who might all be going to the NBA. You know, I, I saw the two other Arizona guys listed among the top in the first round. So they might, uh, you know, they might lose these guys, but then they might just replace them all next year with, with more recruits. So if they could get those top three recruits recruits this year. The program must be okay and people aren't afraid to go to go there, young kids. Well, it's been a good recipe for Kentucky, you know, to grab some young talent and use them for a year or two and then find some more. So, yeah, and that's yeah. what Utah hopes that they can keep their guys and then beat up on these young teams when they when their guys get a little bit older. Well, different. Uh, just real quickly, Arizona State, is that uh, it sounds like a winnable game for the Utes, but uh, again, uh, it's a road game and uh, how devastating would it be if the Utes come up empty this week. Yeah, they could win that. I was one of the strangest uh, results of the year was that Arizona State lost to St. Mary's by 40 points at home this year. St. Mary's is good, but you know, 40 points. Uh and, and Arizona State, they've beaten some good teams in the league already. I guess that they recently they beat uh somebody good anyway, sorry. They uh, but Utah won down there Two years ago, or would you? You were probably were there yourself. Gosh, uh, it was a blur, but I do remember them winning. I saw them winning down there about three years ago, and then they went over and lost Arizona by one. And that was a year right. they should have swept that thing, which was close. So, no, they definitely have a good chance to win. And if they, like you say, if they do lose them both, I don't think it's that big, you know, a huge deal because they will be down in the conference, you know, with just one win and you know four losses. But uh, they've got a long way to go, and if they can get back up to five hundred, they have a good chance to make it to a, at least the NIT. And then if they do well, maybe in the tournament. Maybe they can go to the NCAA's if they win some more games because they have they have several wins on their resume already against Kentucky, BYU, Minnesota is one of the better Big Ten teams this year, and they won those three. So that goes a long way for them if they keep it up. And uh, so yeah, I think people expect them to lose these three road games and uh, counting Colorado. And if they so if they lose two, they can bounce back and, and win you know win a lot more games this year. Can they finish in the top four and get one of those buys in Las Vegas? And how important is that to their their postseason hopes? You know, I I almost. Think maybe they don't want to do that because they lose that game every year, don't they? It, it seems, seems like yeah, it, yeah. Last three times they've they've lost, and these other teams have played the night before. And I don't think they're going to make the top four this year. Just looking at the league, it's a lot stronger. So might, maybe they might be better off being five or six and going in there and, and having a chance to you know play, play a day. play a game and win a game and then maybe win the next game. So I don't. I think the top four is going to be really tough for them to make this year. Well, as an old guy myself, I would imagine these young guys like playing ball every day, and uh, it's not like they're going to be tired, right? They're a very no, young team. These guys are they're just youngsters, so they can do it. Those whippersnappers. Hey, uh, before we conclude, Mike, uh, women's hoops, uh, they got their first Pac-12 win of the year uh, over USC. Uh, they've had a tough schedule so far. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, I was, they played uh, Oregon, Oregon State, lost by 30 and 25 points. Then they come and play UCLA, and that was an amazing game. They they were up by one midway through the third quarter, and they lost by 30. Yeah. <laughs> 
I don't know how your team can do that. So they kind of collapsed. But, I've been um, on some ward teams that have done that. Yeah. I'm sure. So I was happy. I just was looking at the results when I was over in Colorado, and I, I kind of was following it online, and they were it was back and forth, but they I guess they hung on one by two points at the end. So that kind of got uh, got that one off their back so they're not winless in the league anymore. So they're going to have a tough year. They're not going to make the NCAAs, but if they could win, beat teams like USC, they should be able to you know have a little success this year. All right. got to get our uh, Utah gymnastics writer Trent Wood in here sometime talk about the Red Rocks but they got off to another strong start it's a new era for gymnastics without the Marstons. Yeah I saw they won the, the big four meet the other day which I guess that's not a surprise because they've they've dominated BYU, Utah State and Southern Utah Should be the big years. one and the other three. Yeah I... so that was not a surprise but uh, yeah they got a lot of new names this year you know I follow it from a distance too but uh, they seem to they, they get Good uh, gymnasts every year, and they're they're in the, they're ranked in the top five again. So should be another year where they're going to be a contender, and whether they're going to make it ever make it to the top again, that's to be seen. But. Uh they're always a good team. Well, and then uh, before we close, obviously some other news during the week. Utah and BYU officially signed their contracts so that they'll play again in the future. Uh, Jay Drew had a nice story on that. Uh, Mike, what do you think of the interruption of the series with the Florida game than that? Part of me says, you know, would Utah football be better off still playing BYU and dropping one of the other teams. And, you know, I, I don't know if I'm buying this. The Pac-12 is so grueling because on a national stage, they're not getting a lot of respect. But they get more respect if they play BYU and uh, Florida in the same year. Yeah, I'm with you 100% on that one. And I, I could go on all day about scheduling because it's one of my pet peeves how these teams, they're always afraid to lose and they won't play certain teams and they have to make sure they have winnable games. And to me, Utah should play Florida, BYU, and in Utah Wyoming. State. Yeah, Utah State. Play Utah State every year. You know, what, why, why can't you play two in-state schools? They say, oh, you can't get up for both the games. It's too hard. It's You know, these guys are football players. They play 12 games, you know. Just play the best teams. And, and if Utah wants to be a national power, just go beat them, you know. Beat Utah State. Beat BYU, you know. Right. And play a good team. Why, why do you have to play Southern Utah or Weber State? You know, I mean, it's good to have in-state teams, but, you know, the scheduling, these coaches are, they have their things they do, and they say everybody else does it, so we're going to do it. But I think this, this year was kind of a good example where Utah's weak preseason schedule could have hurt them, you know, right. and so why not just play, keep playing BYU every year? Everybody wants to see it, but... Exactly. Well, hopefully they're listening. Uh, The Senior Bowl and the uh, Shrine Game are coming up. Obviously, Utah is well represented in uh, both. Tyler Huntley is uh, the starting quarterback in the Shrine Game and that. And that's quite a big stage for him to step on considering uh, going into the season. I don't think we knew what we were going to get out of Tyler Huntley, but he obviously stepped forward and very efficient passer and and ran the offense quite well. It's funny, the East-West Shrine Game, you guys are younger than me, but when I was a kid, that was a huge deal. The East West Shrine game would be played like it was almost played like late in the holidays, you know, back when there were fewer bowl games. It'd right. be played in late December or something like that. And and if a Utah guy made it, it was like hey, he's in the East West Shrine game. And now, I mean, it's it's a big deal to these players, but I don't think a lot of fans are going. Oh, I wonder. I'm looking forward to watching the East West Shrine game this week. You know, right. <laughs> it's mostly good for the players because they get to to be seen by the the pro teams and get and show what they can do. And it and just by being selected shows that you're one of the better players in the country. 
All right, well, and I think John Penasini and uh, Darren Paulo will be there with him. And then uh, the senior bowl, Zach Moss, uh, decided to pull out, but he was uh, he was invited. And then you've got uh, some other guys, that, you know, Bradley and I, Lecky Fotu, Terrell Burgess. You know, the youths are still well represented in both games. And that speaks what we were talking about earlier, Mike, about the program getting some respect nationally. You know, NFL draft in Vegas, we could hear a lot of uh, Utah names this year. Yeah, this is going to be probably might be their best one ever, looks like, for most players that are going to be drafted. So that's a credit to the Utah program. We'll be glued to the TV, huh? At least I will that day. Well, three days. Yeah, that's no. good. I need something to do. Okay, appreciate it. Any uh, closing thoughts, Mike? Anything you want to say before you head off to sunny Arizona? Well, I, I hope that uh, it doesn't snow too much for on you guys while I'm gone down there where it's going to be in the 70s for five days. Well, we'll uh, we'll hope, and uh, I don't know if we'll uh, shovel your walk while you're gone. We'll probably let it pile up so you have something to do when you get home. But, uh, folks, we appreciate you listening. Just a reminder to catch us uh, wherever you get fine podcasts. Tell your friends about it. And a reminder, we're sponsored by DesiretNews.com. Check us out for all the latest Ute news. And uh, we are a Twitter-first operation, so follow us on Twitter, and uh, we'll have all the breaking news and then some. Again, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you later.